yeah, we're, we're lucky to have uh, Derek Davison here joining us to talk about uh, Biden's defense pick and some other uh, foreign affairs issues. Um, Derek is the founder of Foreign Exchanges, a Substack newsletter um, about uh, foreign affairs, and uh, I hope I'm uh, characterizing it correctly, the, the sort of weapons and military industrial complex, um, and also a podcast of the same name. Um, so we're, we're, we're just starting this, uh, the live YouTube Gilded Age broadcast. We've done about 20 uh, episodes, uh, kind of more traditional, edited, pre-recorded. So this is a little more informal and, and um, we're just going to, we're going to talk about uh, Biden's defense pick and some other good stuff. So thanks a lot for, for uh, joining us, Derek. Sure. Happy to be here. First of all, Excellent. how are you, how are you doing? I know every, with the pandemic, it's make a point of asking everybody, how are you holding up? Uh, we're fine. Um, I feel, I feel almost a little guilty saying that, but, uh, we're, we're in pretty good shape. Um, luckily my wife's job is very easily doable from home. And of course I, I was working from home anyway. Uh, school's been a little bit of a challenge for our daughter. Um, but I think she's settled into it fairly well at this point. So we're, is she going okay. into school or, or doing it remotely? She's doing it remotely. They had, uh, we're in Fairfax County, Virginia. Uh, there have, has been some talk about the sort of ramping back up, but I think they've put the brakes on that. So, well, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, yeah, everything is, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy out there. <laughs> it's, uh, that's the, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's somewhat, it's somewhat, uh, chilling what's, what's happening. And, um, my my fiance's company uh, just had two positive cases, one of whom was her direct supervisor. So, oh wow, yeah, oh, they've man. been they've been that's, forcing everybody back into the office. That's that's just nerve wracking. I can't even imagine. Yeah, it's uh, been it's been fun, especially hearing Governor Cuomo but, get up in the news every day and say, "Just wear a mask, people. That's all you need to do." Like the the, yeah, the case the caseload might be exploding underneath me, but that's your fault, not mine. <laughs> It really is. It's been uh, it's been, I think, a microcosm of uh, a much bigger problem. I don't want to like derail anything here, but um, the tendency for people in power to try and make everything all about what you can do. Yeah, you know, you need to be recycling and watching your carbon footprint and. But Exxon, we're going to, we're going to, yeah, Exxon's okay. <laughs> or like, we don't have to do anything to like, you know, sy systemically to fix any of these problems. It's all on you. Right. It's like when Kennedy said, you know, ask not what you, what, what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for you. You know what? That doesn't hold up in a fucking yeah. pandemic when. Yeah. Kind of, <laughs> like, kind of falls apart. Yeah. So the reason that we're here today, uh, we are gathered here today is to discuss Joe Biden's pick for defense secretary, also known as the Pentagon chief, you know, putting somebody in charge of our military. Um, and that person that he chose uh, is a board member at Raytheon, which for those who don't know, um, first off, how don't you know if you've been if you're watching this and following all of us, how do you not know that? But uh, they are a private defense company. They, they, they make weapons. Uh, among the things they do is they make weapons. And those weapons currently are being shipped all over the world and used in conflicts. Um, and yeah. So anyway, Derek, what's your initial take on this? 
Um, uh, I mean, there are a lot of red flags about Lloyd Austin. Um, you've you've mentioned that he sits on the board of Raytheon. He's also, I think, uh, on the board of um, oh, this it's some hedge fundy type of a place. Yeah, now. Pine um, Pine Pine Island is the Pine name. Pine Island Capital, right? Um, you know, these are these are not connections that you want to see out of the person who's going to be in charge of the Pentagon. If you're interested in reducing the military budget, if you're interested in reducing America's military footprint around the world, um, I'm I'm somewhat tempered by. Um, you know, my, my feelings about this are somewhat tempered by the alternative, which was Michelle Flournoy, um, who has a lot of these same types of connections and is also, uh, by all outward appearances, much more gung-ho about uh, sending the military to, to muck around in foreign countries. Um, so I, 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 f I feel like um, you know, Austin is not somebody I would pick. I don't think anybody I would pick as Secretary of Defense could actually get through the screening process for any uh, incoming administration. Um, so who who would but, you, who would you pick? Give us give us a name. If if you, ideal world, well, I mean, in an ideal world, I'd probably put somebody like Matt Duss, who's Bernie Sanders' foreign policy advisor. I, I'd probably have somebody like that. Uh, or somebody like William Hartung, who's at the Center for International Policy, uh, who's written extensively about the need to cut the military budget and how we could do that and reinvest that money in, in better ways. I mean, I, you know, there's a lot of sort of people out there who write about this stuff and have thought about this stuff who uh, who would be good choices. Andrew Basevich, if you wanted to go with somebody who's ex-military, who's, uh, you know, not a, not a leftist by any stretch, but is certainly a, a realist and somebody who's more... Uh, much more attuned to the need for a restrained U.S. foreign policy. I mean, there's there's people like that out there uh, who I think would be great choices to run the Pentagon. See, don't um, anybody watching this? Don't let us say that we don't offer other solutions or alternatives. Like, because <laughs> yeah, you, you always, you always, you always, right, but you get solutions. this shit all the time. Like, well, who would you pick? And it's like anybody else. Anybody. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is a it's a dismal <laughs> yeah, list, yeah. and I feel like. Um, you know, to, to look at it more broadly, I, I feel like this is a pattern that's emerging as Biden kind of rolls out these picks that they sort of float names or names are floated. I don't want to say they're floating them, but, you know, names of people who would be uh, really kind of undesirable in, in these positions. Uh, and then they pick somebody slightly like marginally better in some ways. And, and you're sort of relieved yeah. that it was I mean, Tandon, Nero Tandon, with, that, that happened with Nero Tandon with OMB. Yeah, um, that's happened. That happened with yeah, Nero Tandon. I think this but, the Rahm Emanuel, like the undying, you know, speculation about Rahm Emanuel having some kind of role is, is intended to scare people to, yeah. uh, you know, sort of but, but in, as a worst case scenario. I think there's a lot of that. But, but in the I, end, let like, me just pause, Walker, hold on. Um, I think there's something going on with our live stream actually it doesn't seem to really be working like it says live but it's not so is there a way mean? of restarting that i i also think you guys couldn't hear me for the first two right. minutes of this <laughs> I, I think i could hear you i'm Maybe seeing not. i'm seeing that this this is live i have the link right. up okay for and, me it's just hold on it's wait can weird. we ask um can we ask people watching uh in the in the chat if you could just tell us if you hear us 
and if you see us and and whatnot. I, oh, you know what? I think I was using the previous link. There must have been you must have done it twice, and so there's another one. I so it's working fine. Think, okay, My bad. So, My bad. We're all good. We're all good. Technical okay. issues are over. Um, but yeah, so yes, as as you were saying, Walker, we were just saying that um, uh, this sort of uh, bait and switch kind of thing they're doing. But but the, at the end of the day, there really isn't that much of a difference. You find out like the re whole reason that we were against. Um, uh, what's his face? Who was the guy that they were they were going to put in before Tandon? Like he got floated. Uh, uh, Bruce Reed. Yeah, Bruce Reed. So the big thing about Bruce Reed was that he had proposed that he was uh, in favor of social security cuts back in back in the day. And of course, you know, then lo and behold, well, so was Tandon. So it's 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 a, it's a it's a degree of difference that is pretty troubling, troublingly small. Does that make that make sense? Yeah, it's not a bait. It's not a bait and switch though. It's, it's like it's 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 a it's a bargaining tactic almost with the art of the deal uh, with certain segments of the party. Um, it's like it could be it could be this bad, but it's only going to be this. Yeah, I guess it's a reverse bait and switch is kind of what I what I meant. <laughs> but, but at the end um, of the yeah. day, like, look, they have to they have to radically transform this country in a very short amount of time. Like, we have a very narrow window in which to do things. Um, just with climate change, with, uh, I think, the mobilized far right. And if they don't do that, they are condemning us to a future that is awful. And so the, the, I find much of this discourse is sort of distasteful. Like online, you've got people who are like, well, you guys lost, so now you have to take our shitty picks and like it. And it's like, okay, you're on this sinking ship with us, asshole. Do you understand that? <laughs> Sorry, I'm... I'm 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 feeling I'm feeling uh, frisky today. <laughs> um, oh, but yeah, it's better it's, time to post today. and to go live, baby. I know, but it's <laughs> it's frustrating. I I find myself endlessly frustrated all the time, and uh, yeah. So anyway, let's 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 get back to the topic at hand. Let's talk about let's talk about this genocide monger who Biden wants for defense secretary. Um, I have a statement here that I'd like to read. Uh, and I'd like to get all of your reactions. This is from Ahmad Al-Ghabari, who is a Yemeni journalist who uh, does work in Yemen. Um, he's also an activist and he helps feed uh, and, and supply people who are desperately in need there and risks his life to do so. And he, he provided us this statement to read live. Uh, it's, Yemen has been under U.S.-Saudi-led coalition war for five years we were happy when Joe Biden promised that he will end U.S. arms sales to Saudi Arabia when he becomes the U.S. president, but it seems that it was only just election promises. We need a real action and immediate solution for, Yemen's, uh, for Yemeni's crisis. Every 10 minutes, a child dies from hunger in Yemen. U.S. arms sales are killing Yemeni children. This war must be over. We need peace. We need to raise our children in peace, not war. We hope that the war will be over and we are waiting for Joe Biden's promise. Thoughts? Not so great. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, I wrote a piece for Jacobin a couple, like maybe a week ago or so on Yemen and what Biden is going to do or might do. And I, I mean, I, I think it's a question of priorities. Like Yemen is in, is imperiled right now. They're in uh, on the verge of 
really catastrophic famine. Um, people are, you know, millions of people are food insecure and slipping into starvation. Um, he said, Biden said some, some of the right things on Yemen during the campaign. He said he wanted to get the U.S. out of that conflict, which would almost certainly force the Saudis to stop fighting or at least pare down their military campaign extensively and, and pursue peace talks. Um, but, you know, there, there's a question, I think a very fair question as to whether or not he's going to actually make that a priority once he, he takes office. And this isn't something where you can say, yeah, we're going to get to that. You know, this is on the list of things to do, you know, six months from now. This is something that has to happen right away. And and crucially, it's something that can happen right away. There's been a bipartisan uh, movement in Congress to end the U.S. involvement in Yemen. They, they, they passed war powers resolution, war powers resolution, both houses of Congress last year that uh, Donald Trump vetoed. Um, all it would take would be for Biden not to veto something like that. Um, or if, you know, the makeup of Congress, the next Congress is such that, that those resolutions can't get passed, he can take action unilaterally as, an, as the president and, and end, uh, end that war to a great extent. And, and it would not be a complicated thing. It wouldn't be an unpopular thing. It wouldn't be a particularly politically perilous thing. Uh, it, it's a very easy thing to do. And I think whether or not he does it and does it quickly it will tell us a lot about what kind of foreign policy he's going to so, pursue. Right. This is something he could do on day one. Uh, he could take immediate actions to, to wind down that war. He could end uh, arms sales. Uh, I mean, this is, it seems that it's, it, I agree with you, Derek. I think it will be a big test of his administration and the direction that he is going to go. I know that a lot of people out there are very skeptical right now that he actually intends to follow through on this, but it is something that if, you know, if he is facing a hostile Senate, it's still uh, something that he, an accomplishment he could have. So uh, right. why it's, you know, it's one of the worst human rights atrocities that's ever happened. There's so much suffering going on. Why, why is it just lack of political will or It'd be interesting to unpack the reasons why it keeps on going on. Um, I mean, the, yeah, the 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 origins of this were, I think, part of a, a deal that the Obama administration made. It's not like not like a quid pro quo uh, on the surface, but underneath it, it was a you know we want to negotiate with Iran. We want to do the the nuclear deal. Uh, with Iran, we understand you have concerns. The Saudis, you have concerns about this, and uh, you and the Iranians don't get along. So, you know, we'll help you sort of uh, take whatever actions you feel you need to take to secure the kingdom, the Saudi kingdom, uh, against Iran. You know, and and that came to include Yemen. The Houthi rebels in northern Yemen are, uh, at least to some extent aligned with Iran, that, that alignment has gotten stronger in part because of the pressure the U.S. and the Saudis have put on them. Um, but, you know, the Saudis felt like countering the Houthis was one way to sort of counter Iran. Uh, and the Obama administration helped with that, you know, in sort of a, you know, if you don't bother us too much about the nuclear deal, we'll help you with this. 
Um, for the Trump administration, it's been a different motivation. It's basically Donald Trump is enthralled to the Saudis and, uh, you know, has sort of uh, gone along with anything that they've wanted to do for four years. Um, he's been, you know, he's obviously withdrawn from the nuclear deal and sort of scrapped that or tried to uh, and instituted his maximum pressure campaign against Iran. And And again, on the same logic the Saudis were using that were sort of uh, you know, there's this relationship of some kind between the Houthis and Iran, uh, opposing the Houthis and supporting the Saudi war effort has become part of that maximum pressure campaign. So, so in terms of Austin, um, where, where is, I mean, where is, where does he stand? Uh, it sounds like he's not as militaristic as, as other options were. So where would you have any idea where he might stand on something like this? I mean, the, what everybody seems to say about, Austin, and this is, you know, sort of a double-edged sword, is that he's a guy who will follow orders. That's what he was, you know, sort of known for as a as an army officer. Uh, he and Biden apparently had a very good relationship, which is probably a big part of the reason why he's gotten uh, tabbed for the job. Biden and Flournoy allegedly or reportedly didn't have such a great relationship. Um so, I mean, I think if Biden orders him to to get the U.S. out of that conflict, he'll do it. Uh, I say this is a double-edged sword because you don't necessarily want a secretary of defense who's just going to follow the president's orders all the time. You want a secretary of defense who might challenge the president on some things. Now, that said, and again, you know, sort of comparing him to Flournoy, if the secretary of defense is going to challenge the president to be more militaristic and to get more involved in uh, conflicts like Yemen or other, you know, other kinds of uh, other sorts of conflicts around the world, uh, then maybe you don't want that. So this is, it's, you know, it's it's not an ideal um, situation, but on this particular issue on Yemen, I think Austin will do what, what Biden, you know, follow the, the path Biden dictates. Um, well, Austin, so I, I just want to read a couple things that this was reported by the New York times that uh, Austin owns more than $500,000 in Raytheon stock. And uh, he was paid uh, a total of $1.4 million in stock and compensation over four years that he was uh, a member of the United Technologies Board. So, I mean, I want to believe that that this is somebody who would, you know, embrace peace, but his financial interest has been in genocide for the last, you know, four years. Um, so, I mean, does that concern you? He definitely you? cashed out. He just he left the uh, he he left his military position and just cashed out because he joined like four or five boards, including the couple that we mentioned. Um, I, I, but does I that guess, raise anybody's red flags? I mean, that to me is a big concern. Oh, it's a yeah. horrible conflict of interest. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 really not good. Um, but again, I mean, you're sort of operating in a in a comparison to who else could have had that job, and I think you know at the margin he seems like a sounder pick from the perspective of uh, military restraint, not a good one, not somebody who's going to advocate for more restraint or advocate for a smaller military budget, but somebody who is going to be less likely to push for the opposite uh, than uh, the alternative. I'm not, I'm not a fan of this pick, but yeah. you know, I don't, I don't think there were any good names in the pile. I mean, Jed Johnson was the other one, and, uh, you know, yeah. just as bad as Flournoy in, in many respects. And it's it's probably worth mentioning that um, 
you know, his Austin's um, pick would, would, he wouldn't have to, he would have to get a waiver, I believe from the white house uh, general counsel from, um, from, or yeah, from Congress. He would have to get a waiver from Congress um, because he it, hasn't been, there's a seven year period uh, for, for four. Uh, that you have to be out of active duty military to, to become secretary of defense. Yeah. Uh, he'll, he'll be the second. I mean, it'll be the third, I think secretary of defense. George Marshall was the first way back when, um, but he'll be the second now in two administrations in because row, James yeah. Mattis, um, James Mattis had to get that waiver to take the job yeah, under Trump. Very and, similar and that's, situation. That's a, that's not a great precedent. Um, you, you want to emphasize civilian control of the military and it's not a great precedent to set, to have these guys kind of, uh, you know, leaving the military and going right into the secretary of defense position. Uh, that said again, I mean, there's sort of a, uh, other considerations there. What, what kind of secretary of defense is, this person going to be versus the civilian that you were considering in this case, uh, you know, I, not to keep going back to Flournoy, but, but that's who they were supposedly considering. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure she would be any better um, at protect, preserving the principle behind the idea of civilian control of the military, since this is a person who is again, sort of very kind of hyper uh, pro intervention, pro military. So, so here's here's my question. Then all of these positions are going to need confirmation by the Senate, and the margins in the Senate are going to be pretty narrow. Depending, no matter who, no matter which party ends up having a majority, it's going to be it's going to be pretty narrow. Uh, people like Bernie Sanders and Markey, and maybe even Warren, although Warren has been sort of shitting the bed for a while now, but like. Those p there is a small group of of uh, voices in the Senate who could be pretty influential if they threaten to to block uh, Biden nominees, and I I have to wonder like you know obviously you have to pick your battles, but which is is this a battle worth picking? Where you say we're not going to let you put a hawk on, and we're not going to let you put some you know sludge monster from uh, Raytheon on. Um, I mean, you know, there's a couple of ways to, to approach that. There's, there's obviously uh, the question of the waiver, and then there's the question of confirming him. In this case, you have two different things that have to happen in Congress. Uh, as far as I know, there's been, there've been a couple of senators who have suggested they would not be inclined, uh, to vote for the waiver. I don't think there's going to be enough to stop that from happening. I think Richard Blumenthal was one. Um, Sanders, as far as I, I, Sanders, I'm pretty sure has said he would be open to the, he would be open yeah. to the waiver. He doesn't have an issue with that. Um, you know, that, that principle, again, if you it feel really, very I mean, strongly it, about the principle it and it's a good principle, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to uh, argue against that, that, that would be, that might be a battle worth trying to fight. Um, but uh, do I think, I mean, I think certainly, you know, kind of uh, <laughs> refusing to vote for Austin uh, could be a way to kind of send a message or to make a statement. But I don't think he's the kind of pick who's going to be uh, a marginal pick. Like, I, I mean, I don't see him as being the guy who's going to win a 51 to 49 vote. I think you'll get an, enough Republicans, given his background, um, to to come on board that that even if if a couple of Democrats on the left of the caucus oppose him. I don't, I don't see them being able to block, block him. That's different than Neera Tandon. 
<laughs> yeah, Nara is a different, different case. Well, she, I don't think she she's angered all Republican the, support. She angered all the Republicans on Twitter, so they feel like they have to base their vote for confirmation of right because cabinet tw- position because she's mean. Tweeting, on tweeting nasty things matters now. Yeah. Apparently, Twitter is real life, guys. It it sometimes yeah. is real life, you know. Uh, <laughs> it, it, okay, but but it's not it's not just I, look. It's not just mean tweets. I mean, yes, mean tweets are. It's it's annoying, but this is somebody who. This is somebody who blocks reporters. This is somebody who, who yeah, but they don't care about that. The Republicans right. This is of course. Right. Of we're course only talking about why the Republicans. Right. Right. Are yeah, I'm but saying for they, me, for they, me, you know, when when we when you get all these articles like, oh, the Republicans don't like her mean tweets. I'm like, well, I don't like her Twitter presence either. Like, I don't like the fact that she elevates some of the most toxic, like misogynistic, racist, anti-Semitic voices on online. Like, I don't like that. I think no, that she, that is she bad. sucks, but they they don't care there, and they probably I'm sure they don't mind that you know she she suggested cutting Social Security eight years ago. So, um, but but no, but just, everyone I, was doing it. Yeah, but I, I want to we, we got to there's some questions that would be nice to touch on if we can kind of Please. shift a little bit. Maybe Derek can also talk about this. Uh, yeah, I didn't read. I, I saw a headline today that there's a UAE deal, um, I guess weapons deal that Kristen Cinema and Mark Kelly, who's now the new. Democratic senator from Arizona just got elected and was was sworn in early. Um, both voted for. They crossed party lines. Um, do do you know anything about that, Derek? Um, well, this is the sale of F thirty fives and some drones, uh, some advanced military, like a package of advanced military tech um, that the administration is selling to the UAE primarily as a thank you for normalizing relations with Israel, the quote unquote Abraham Accords. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, this is sort of a quid pro quo and basically this is just kind of very, um, blatantly. So that, that, uh, the Emiratis, Supposedly, now they don't. I don't think they're saying this openly, but the Emiratis, you know, uh, very literally said to the administration, "If you sell us F-35s and uh, some of this other stuff, we will normalize diplomatic relations with Israel and, and give you this foreign policy win." Um, it's it's certainly very seedy. Uh, it's um, not a not good. I mean, you're selling weapons to a. Uh, a very bad actor, a country that has very uh, been a, a, a destabilizing force in the region that has participated heavily in the Yemen war, uh, that has participated in expanding and prolonging the civil war in Libya. Uh, you know, this is not a good actor uh, that you're selling these weapons to. Um, these deals are are typically more about cementing a relationship than they are about yeah. the weapons themselves. And I think that's the case here uh, as well like you're not going to see uae pilots and f-35s dominating the skies of the persian gulf this is about sort of locking the u.s and the uae into a relationship financially in terms of maintaining the planes in terms of you know continuing to uh, kind of have a presence and for for both sides there's a a benefit there. Obviously, the money comes from the UAE to the US, and for the UAE, you get to uh, sort of expand the the defense umbrella that they're under. But it, it is worth pointing out that these these weapons and munitions will find their way into countries like Yemen. I mean, it's it's uh, yeah. I mean, of course, they'll find they'll they'll be used. Uh, I mean, the UAE isn't 
active directly in Yemen anymore. They're sort of uh, pulled back. They're supporting the southern separatist movement, but they'll be used somewhere. I mean, the Emiratis aren't building uh, up a military, which they've been doing for, for several years now. They're not investing this much money in the military, in their military to, uh, you know, not be a player in, in these kinds of situations. It's interesting that Mark Kelly did it. I don't know much about him, but um, I mean, I don't think most people do. Like, it was just he was a Democrat running against an incumbent Republican. So it's you know, better go, when a Democrat does it. Go Mark <laughs> Kelly. But I mean, Kristen Cinema is, is is very predictable. She's besides Joe Manchin, she's probably the most conservative senator on the Democratic side. She weirdly was a Green Party member a long time ago, an activist, and kind of just like had a complete 180, and now she's a, a right-wing Democrat. So that's that's unsurprising. I guess Kelly is probably going to be in that camp of conservative Dems. I mean, Roseanne um, Barr ran for the Green Party presidential nomination back in back in the day, and now she's like a Trump but, supporter. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, there there might be a little like what horseshoe theory kind of thing going on, but. Um, I don't know. Yeah. The Kelly thing's just interesting. Cause I mean, I guess he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a NASA guy. He's a, he's a spaceman. So well, I guess we know now what to expect him on his, his space station, Insta Instagram. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. seemed pretty cool. He's that guy. Gabby Gifford's husband. I, assume, I mean, he, I assume cool he dude. must have a military background then. To probably or he probably through jets or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think you can probably expect him to be on the on the conservative end of the party. So somebody asks, unrelated question: Does Mayor Pete uh, know how much bread costs in China? <laughs> I actually tweeted. I had a tweet. It's gonna of go off. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> it's over there. That's amazing. Oh I had my a similar God. tweet because yeah, for for folks who don't know, it looks like he's he's going to be nominated as the ambassador to China. By I don't know who I feel worse for: the U.S. or China. <laughs> Yeah, in this situation, like that's exactly oh this is exactly what we need to to, to give to China. <laughs> well, we've got a, we've got a trade deficit, so let's so let's make it up in smarm. Let's just send over <laughs> as much smarm as possible. Well, it's just interesting. Cause, I mean, that usually, I mean, okay, usually ambassadorships are given to major campaign donors, so it's not. It's at least it's not that that type of corruption. It no, does it's just, just reward of, for tanking Sanders. And just and just generally, like Biden, I think believes he thinks Buttigieg is a, the kind of the next generation, or the it's several generations younger than Biden, but he's he's a a next generation of of the Democrats, the corporate Dems. But it just kind of seems almost like his position at McKinsey, like when you have these these people who are I mean like intellectually pretty smart people who work for a giant consulting firm, and they go in and they have no expertise in the industry they're working in whatsoever, but they just go in and they they kind of just screw things up, like and like that that's that, kind of he's like kind of being a consultant for for, for yeah. Yeah, I mean, the context for this was the piece that I saw uh, was in the Washington Blade was like, you know, he's Biden's getting heat from LGBT groups for not, uh, you know, having really any appointees as far as I know, uh, LGBT appointees so far. And so there's like this fixation on Mayor Pete is like the one LGBT person. I didn't even think and, about that. Angle. And, you know, so they're trying to find him a job. But the problem is he's not qualified for anything. I mean, he was a mayor of South well, Bend. It, like, it, what, yeah. what is he going to do? It is the it is the it's the arrogance, though, like um, Red Czar. Yeah, it's, it's the it's the McKinsey arrogance. And I mean, an problem. ambassador to yeah. China has been in the past has been sort of in the recent past, I guess, has been. Um, sort of a, a place to put kind of a prominent 
politician like John Huntsman was previously for Obama was ambassador to China. It's been a place to put people who have a higher profile than like a career foreign service person, uh, but not a bundler or a donor who you would send off to, you know, right. Cause it's uh, a big trade, some it's less a major important, trade relationship. but it, it's really, uh, I mean, the, the issues that the United States has with China, not just sort of the ones that have opened up over the last four years is we've had, you know, it's increasingly, hostile back and forth with Beijing, but, you know, the, the sort of mounting looming things that are happening around the world that literally cannot be solved without a, a, a you know, cooperation between the United States and China, climate change, pandemics, uh, you know, all of these things that, that uh, you know, kind of scream for somebody with a little more substance uh, to have that position and not to make it you know, a political demonstration to the Chinese that we mean business and we're going to be tough uh, and and not to give it to somebody who, you know, kind of did you a solid in the primary, but to actually give that post to somebody who's uh, either a career foreign service officer, or at least somebody who has a lot of substance uh, behind them and can can really uh, bring something to, to that relationship. It seems uh, uh, pretty short-sighted. In fairness, though, uh, they probably heard that China has a lot of state assets that are ripe for privatizing. So, in that sense, sorry, I can't, I can't resist. I, <laughs> I really can't help myself. Um, God, he's just so, he's so bad. It's, it's every, it's like every, every name that keeps just that comes out is like worse than the last or like on par with with the last one. Um, but yeah, the mayor of South Bend whose foreign policy experience includes uh, his service in Afghanistan, which was not for the six CIA, months in, in the case you were desk wondering. job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah I, I have been seeing a lot of CIA Pete uh, hashtags. Right. right. Um, but there, there's, a, there's, a, there's another uh, potential Stick with the rats, um, cabinet secretary who's kind of wrapped up in all this, which is Tony Blinken, who, um, uh, who I, I don't know if, well, his firm, West, Ec West, Ec West, what is it? West, West Exec. West Exec Advisors or something, um, basically helps um, companies get military contracts, right? Um, uh, that That's a, a big chunk of it. Uh, they're, they're not, um, West Exec, uh, which is, I think, named for the street that their, their office right. is on, West mm -hmm. Executive. Yep. Avenue in DC, which is the um, road to the White House. Lincoln and and Michelle Flournoy, there's that name again, uh, yep. co-founded it. Right. Um, and Avril Haines, who's now the the designate for uh, director of national intelligence, uh, founded it after you know, sort of at the end of the Obama administration. And it's one of these uh, what's called a strategic consultancy, uh, which is a, a not a new thing. I mean, Henry Kissinger has has one and has had one for a long time. <laughs> Uh, but it sort awesome. of exists in this the space between outright lobbying uh, and I don't know having a reputable job. Um, I mean, it's it's a place where companies can go and get advice. They can get a friendly ear. They could get somebody who maybe has some influence who can help them out on something. Um, it is very much like lobbying, but it doesn't carry the stigma because not not as many people know what a strategic consultancy is versus, you know, vis-a-vis -vis what a lobbyist is. Um, so, you know, th they've had West Exec's client list, to, as far as I know, uh, is not 
a, a public, it's not publicly known. They don't disclose. They've had uh, relationships with companies looking to do like heavy relationships with companies uh, looking to sort of navigate the Pentagon contracting process. And one of the alleged clients from one report I read, I believe is an Israeli AI company. Um, well, it's, it's that, interesting. Biden promised transparency and then they don't disclose their clients and don't have to. Well, there's so a way to be, there's a way to not be non-transparent because it's, it, no, no one knows to even ask the question. So I, reporters do though. I mean, I guess there, there's, there's some question now as to whether Blinken and whoever else work at this place who are going to be, uh, have to submit financial disclosures, whether they're going to have to submit the names of their clients who I think they earned over $5,000 from in the last year or not, because it is this kind of shadow lobbying position, which is sort of nebulous. And I guess it's not really clear whether they're going to disclose. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Um, but also I should say that Flournoy is associated with um, the Pine Island capital as is. Um, yes. Uh, Austin. So they're both seen as as um, kind of links f to, from Wall Street to the Biden administration. Again, if Florida makes it in there in some capacity, which I sort of suspect she might, um, but not maybe as as a major cabinet secretary. But we'll see. Um, but there's an article, um, that and I, I think Blinken has ties to Pine Island too. I'm, I'm not yeah, I seem to remember that. Sure. So actually, because the Daily Poster, where Walker works, had has a report from November 28th. Um, it talks about Pine Island Capital Partners. It lists, yeah, Flournoy and Austin as um, as partners of the firm, and it lists Blinken as a partner on a leave of absence. Okay, so so Blinken was a partner; he's just not currently a partner. And then apparently, according to CNBC today, they reported that um, Wall Street is uh, so. There's they have a, a what's called a SPAC, I guess, which is something I just learned about today. It's it's a it's kind of like a quasi political action committee that helps. Um, what does it do exactly? It, it, I think it, it helps put, let me look this up here. One moment, um, stand by. Yeah, I'm just, there. It, it, okay, it's a shell company. A SPAC is a shell company with no actual commercial operations and is often created solely for raising capital to help a company go public without going through traditional IPO process. Okay, so it's just some weird shell company that allows them to raise money in, I guess, like easier easier manner than other ways. So there's this SPAC that is, re that is, affiliated with Pine Capital and apparently um, they're getting a, a surge of support from Wall Street after offering access to the incoming administration because their affiliations with with Blinken and Flournoy and Austin. So there's there's some more swampy stuff, um, you know, uh, a little, I mean, not surprising, but just a little disappointing given that we're coming out of like one of the swampiest administration in recent memory. Um, and Biden's just just doing honestly, just doing more of it, which is you know. Well, it does. Hey, it, it it certainly lends credence to this uh, notion that that Trump spoke to a lot of concerns that people had, and not all of them, uh, not all of them, uh, good concerns. But this one does seem to be legitimate. That there is this Washington blob, uh, or swamp, or whatever you want to call it, that people just come out of and glom up to and advance and it's it's been it's been a pretty eye-opening process uh i think i think there is a there's a, a list that kenneth vogel did of of biden's cabinet it's a running it's a running thread like uh ronald Klein is a venture capital executive um steve Rachetti is a former pharmaceutical and insurance lobbyist 
Um, Cedric Richmond is a top Democratic recipient of big oil money. Uh, Jennifer O'Malley Dillon is the co-founder of a firm that represents pharmaceuticals and private equity. Um, Blinken, (laughs) yeah, like it just it just goes on and on and on, and it's it's really like you have to wonder what we're going to get in terms of policy out of an administration that is so enmeshed with with corporate interests. It's it's just the they say you know these are the people that know the most about these subjects because they've worked in it their whole lives. I mean, I remember that argument with Geithner when Geithner got appointed um, with Obama. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's it speaks it just it speaks to the broader just what? mo of of Washington in general. It it is inseparable from corporate America. Mark was one of the few college kids at our <laughs> at our school who was paying attention to Timothy Geithner. Well, I was the, I was an econ major at the time. But it's kind of like you know there uh, someone like Biden who first of all is extremely dependent on people he's worked with and he trusts um, many from the Obama administration some from before um, just doesn't really know anything else it's kind of like I don't know if they if they wanted to get people who were who did not have conflicts of interest and kind of industry grifting and whatever else kind of backgrounds like they wouldn't be able to do it because like there wouldn't be anyone that they really thought could do the job or was quote unquote qualified or really they trusted um, to fill these positions. And you're going to have the occasional pretty good nominee. It looks like the U.S. trade rep nominee is, is pretty progressive. That's it's, it's a rarity these days. But, you know, like there are going to be some like I, I, I really hope for the interior that Deb Halan gets the nod. But I, I cynically kind of think like she's not. They're going to give it to like um, Mark Udall or someone. Um, well, but, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it'll was- happen. Robert Reich was labor secretary under Bill Clinton. That didn't make Bill Clinton's administration progressive in any no, way. But he, but, but Reich, Reich was not, Reich has become a lot more left wing as over time. I think seeing, I'm not saying he was like Robert Rubin or someone, but he, he's become more left wing over time, seeing what happened and seeing the failures of the Clinton administration. Um, you know, but that's fair. So who's everybody's worst pick so far? Hmm. Derek, what do you think? Uh, you're gonna make me. I'm gonna have to look at the list now because I've 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 been focused Same. on the uh, the national security folks, and I haven't even really like I haven't paid enough attention. To oh wait, the, yeah. so so remember uh, when Biden others. answered the question like, can you name? He couldn't answer like, could you name a progressive in your administration? Or Harris was unable to answer, and Biden's yeah, they, like, national security, yeah. national security. Uh, yeah. <laughs> to whom? To whom, sir? Was he referring? Uh, I think it was. I, good. Have, I, I no think he was idea, referring yeah. to the nominee for Homeland Security, who is a guy um, who it, it checks off a couple identity politics boxes. But I, I mean, he he he's a former official with I think USCIS, um, the Center for Immigration Services, which is part of Homeland Security. And I mean, I, I honestly wasn't following that, you know, over more than four years ago, so I'm not exactly sure. Um, it just sounds. I mean, he's he's kind of coming out of the same department he's going to be leading, so it's not like he's really. Uh, I don't think radically progressive in any way. I seriously doubt he's progressive at all. I just think that, you know, <laughs> they didn't have an answer, so they threw they threw a name out. Um, well, he threw a depart an unlikely department, but but yeah. So who's okay? So who's your worst pick, Derek? Um, I mean, I I feel like 
Uh, I I see a lot of red flags in in Avril Haines' background, and I know there there are a lot of people who came out of the Obama administration mm-hmm. who said she was very you know she's very much a voice of restraint on drone strikes, and uh, she was you know constantly she was more worried about civilian casualties, and uh, I mean she she defended um, the the I mean she basically helped cover up the uh, the scandal of the the CIA. Uh, you know, hacking into the Senate Intelligence Committee um, to, to you know, when they were doing the torture investigation and kind of, uh, you know, hacking into their systems to try and, uh, you know, figure out what they were doing. And and she uh, advocated, she was a, a, a proponent of Gina Haspel uh, becoming CIA director at the beginning of the Trump administration. Gina Haspel uh, was involved in the torture program. Um, the things that I, I hear about Haynes in terms of her so-called restraint on drones are the kinds of things that you tend to get out of democratic national security types um, who don't oppose the drone program on principle and don't have really have that big a problem with, uh, you know, civilian casualties. What they want is for the process to, to be sound or, you know, whatever meets their definition of sound. Um, and, and that's, you know, sort of putting a, a cherry on a shit Sunday. Um, so I don't, I don't <laughs> mm, really delicious. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't really find that to be uh, a point in her favor or a strong point in her favor. Um, you know, I, I is she going to be better than, uh, I don't even remember the name of the hack that Trump has in there now. She's going to be better than that. And what was, so what's, what's Haynes um, nominated for? Uh, Director of National Intelligence. Oh, for DNI. Yeah, and it wasn't just that she kind of was uh, sort of happy with generally like the idea of the, the drones under Obama, but she created the legal justification for the drone attacks, right? I mean, she under the guise of kind of cleaning them up. Yeah, I mean, she she was involved, I think, in helping to. There was like a second term shift to some extent in in drone policy under the Obama administration that was more restrained. I mean, I don't want to you know belittle that um, they were more restrained about it in their second term, but but it's um, there's a refusal to ask that some uncomfortable questions about whether this is something that should exist at all um and and what right the united states has to to engage in these kinds of things that uh you know this is not somebody who's asking those questions she's asking she's operating from the perspective of uh, you know it's already assumed that the united states should be entitled to do this now you know how do we create a system that is uh at at the most justifiable and i think uh, you know, not even on a moral level uh, in terms of a sort of legality, you know, how can we What's assure the- people that we're doing the right thing for public relations purposes, that that kind of thing. Well, that's awfully troubling. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I mean, and again, I don't, you know, there there are worse people. You could have Michael Flynn in that job or something, and, you know, somebody who's just totally <laughs> yeah. kind of, you know, uh, you know, off the wall, kind of let's kill everybody. Um, but I, I think it's unfortunate that, that, uh, we're still sort of refusing to have a, a, a real discussion about the, the nature of that program in particular, which is, is deeply sort of symptomatic or is, is a, um, symptom of, of, I think, 
the off the rails militarization of U.S. foreign policy in in the last twenty years. Mm-hmm. Alex, how about you? Who's your worst pick? I, I I agree with Derek. I would have to have a whole list in front of me. There's there's a lot now, but I remember looking at all this time. I know I didn't. I was, all, I was tweeting, guys. I was tweeting. Alex, <laughs> Alex, jeez. I was just I was just firing off some Always tweets, on guys. Twitter, daily daily poster. I'm a daily poster. Oh um, god. But no, no. I, I was I was trying to get more people to to get on the live stream, but. Um, I mean, I, I think there's, it's kind of a two, it's like, there's, there's the most, they will there's like the most villainous, there's like the most villainous one. And then there's like the actual worst one in terms of like what they would do. I mean, the most villainous one to me is definitely Neera Tandon. I mean, she's been a enemy of the left. She's tried to cut social programs. She literally, the, 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 what my first tweet, of course, uh, posting, posting when she was, when she was floated as the name for OMB was I remembered in 2017, the day of the United, the second day of the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, when that white nationalist fucker ran over Heather Hayer and killed her. That was the day that Tandon tweeted, okay, but what about the alt-left who are joining with the, with the alt-right? And then Trump used the same phrase, the alt-left, like in his notorious press conference about the oh fine my people. God. I did not realize um, that. So a literally, legacy to be proud of. Yeah. <laughs> Tandon, Tandon hates the left so much that she was willing to blatantly lie that there is a there is some alt-left equivalent of the alt-right that's actually working with the alt-right. The day that an anti-fascist protester... Well, in fairness, there, there, there is sort of an alt-left uh, of center uh, contingency that is, <laughs> right. that is in that is in really really that is really simpatico with uh with right wingers and i know because i get the same shit from both of them uh they just happen to be her followers yeah they're not it's not there's no there's no like yeah left actual real contingent so the point is like i find her the most villainous um because that kind of stuff is really dangerous rhetoric and harmful but i don't know there, there's probably gonna be someone coming in who's gonna actually do a lot more shitty things for policy but i remember reading about avril haynes when when she was floated for dni and i was very troubled by the drone stuff and um uh yeah that other thing about the cia and hacking and stuff so um i don't know man there, there's more to come um but i think i mean derek i agree with derek in general that it's like and ryan Grimm had kind of an article about this in the intercept recently it's like if you compare, it's like it could be worse. And actually, Obama's um, p- picks were a lot worse overall. If you go through them, kind of look at them collectively. That um, is. I mean, it, look, there's a lot to to report on. There's a lot of conflicts to talk about. A lot to complain about if you're progressive. But again, it's it's just it's not as bad as the last two administrations. Okay, so that that is like, and granted, we're eight years later, twelve years later, whatever. Like that, not as it's bad important. as yeah. It's I important mean, that we actually make real progress, not this tiny little incremental progress. Just which is what Biden might do. On so, Mark, issues. what what about you? Who's your who's your who's your worst pick? Um, you know, I'm I'm gonna have to go with Neera Tandem, most villainous. <laughs> Avril Haines, most dangerous. Wow, we're and, just not very interesting. Just, all, the, all of the, you. The, the, the I mean, there's still I'll, a I'll lot three. of picks that need to be made. Derek, you're so a trendsetter I'll put, here. I'll put a, I mean, the judges. The most there's annoying. still a lot of picks <laughs> to come. There's still a potential <laughs> I mean, for things to get worse. I do. I do. I mean, I think yeah. Tandon is in a position to do a lot of damage. The OMB director is really a powerful position kind of behind the scenes. And she could she could be very, very bad in that role. From a, for for leftists at least. I was in an I was in an 
I was in an argument with this guy from the LA Times, this opinion writer who wrote this thing like, Nira is not coming for your social security. Joe Biden is not really coming for your social security. And you should know because I am super important and I know social security. And, and he's like, I to say that she supported cuts to the program is disingenuous because if you read the plan, cuts are offset. So I did. You know, I, I mean, for my report, I had to read this plan um, or as much of it as, you know, you need to get the to get the ideas down and whatever. Anyway. Um, and of course, it's bullshit. The, the plan did not offset all of the cuts that people were warning of. Um, but like she yeah, I think she's I think she is uniquely dangerous. I think that some like the, the question isn't does Neera Tandon want to cut Social Security actively right now? The answer is probably no. There are no stakes involved. It's a it's it makes sense for a Democratic leaning group right now to be rah, 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 Social Security. Keep it. Don't change the program. Don't do anything. But when there were stakes for cap back in back in 2010 to 2013 when there when the Obama administration was was saying we are willing to make this negotiation um, who's with us at that moment it mattered and cap came out and said yeah we can work the chain CPI and we can make we can make those cuts and oh we'll we'll offset it at, at 85 which you know average life expectancy is not 85 <laughs> Um and and yeah, so yeah, I agree. Tandon is is in a is in a bad position. For me though, the the worst well, pick. He, he um, hasn't. Yeah, he hasn't officially gotten will, picked I, yet. So I gotta I give it to can. Pete Buttigieg. All the same if he, answers if, here, guys. Come he, on. if yeah. he gets picked, or or okay, so officially picked Austin, because I'm sorry, I know that I know it could be worse, but he is the man. Literally makes his money on on murder and. Uh, it is it is a soulless maybe it's a soulless position defense secretary, but he is a uniquely soulless individual and Raytheon is a uniquely soulless company. Um, and I have seen too many photos and videos of children with their heads canoed from from Yemen to give him a pass. Uh, it's it is unacceptable that this would be a pick uh, of Biden's that anybody with any involvement in one of those companies. Uh, I agree with you. I think Matt Dust would have been a great choice, but almost anybody else, anybody slightly to the left who's not who's not making money on on mass murder. That stuff is very normal, and I mean it's it's horrible. It's horrific. It doesn't. I'm just saying, like when you say he's uniquely, it's like it's actually not unique, right? Like that. This stuff, this grifting is like very commonplace. It's oh, sort of sure, door. sure, but but I mean for. For cabinet picks right now, among Biden's cabinet picks, like this, this guy is uniquely bad mm. um, because of because of the fact that he is profiteering off of this. No, of course, they, you, you, these ghouls are a dime a dozen. Yeah. You reach your hand in the you know in the black hole that is DC, you'll come out pay. with yeah, <laughs> basically you'll come out elbow deep, covered in in sludge and slime, and that 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 is you know. Yeah. That are people I mean, it, yeah. in, in defense. It's hard to argue. Uh, it's hard to argue that you know someone who's profiting off of the Yemen genocide is is not the worst pick right now. I have to celebrate it on CNBC You're looking at every that. other day. Yeah, I mean, look, it's amazing our ability to disconnect from it, but that that's not good. The gen the genocide did just get you know points for diversity. I guess like yeah. Well, oh that was God. the first article I saw. It was I, it was an article that said he'd be the first black. 
defense secretary in history and it did this was the beginning so it didn't it didn't like mention right it, it wasn't reporting on on his ties to other businesses it was just like a very like kind of normal article uh without any real digging and I, and <laughs> but like of course that's the first takeaway right um, well even trevor trevor noah even joked about that oh yeah it's it's become yeah anyway. but other th other mm. than that yes pete Buttigieg, hands down just I'm just, uh, uh. He's not his, going anywhere, Walker. I know, but his, to to his, his, I'm sorry, but his appeal, his entire appeal is being that kid from the dinner party yeah, who impressed all away. of your parents' friends. You're, you're going to be hearing about like, him for the next like 40 years, Walker. So get used yeah, to like, it. oh, you, uh, oh my gosh. Oh, you had it. You had a, you had an article that, that came out today. Well, do you know what little Pete is doing? Pete is, you know, uh, but, but it, it will be, it will uh, be kind of hilarious. I mean, and, and aggravating, but hilarious to listen to just the saccharine, like meaningless <laughs> issue because like, like he, I mean, if, you, if you've listened to him talk, like he doesn't actually say anything, especially like, especially like the ads and stuff. It's, it says even less, like with the pre-written stuff is even worse. So when he's, when he's going to be, if, if this does, if he does become the U S ambassador to China, like he'll be the public face of that relationship on our side. And just the amount of just, just completely saccharine, cheesy, meaningless statements is going to be amazing. Well, just, it, really gonna need to, I'm going to need to carry to. an EpiPen at all times to, to, uh, you know, because oh, I am gosh. highly allergic to smarm. Oh no! Oh yeah, that's that's absolutely yeah. You can't you can't not hear it's it just, once you, you once you kind the, of clue into that. He tries to talk like Obama, you know, <laughs> and I didn't realize it at first. It took me a little while, and now I can't un unhear him. This image well, in 2004, Obama. like you know, he's been studying Obama since '04 when when Obama gave the DNC speech, and that really <laughs> elevated his platform. Like, you know, Buttigieg was watching that, and he was like, hmm. he just studied that meticulously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this guy. He, oh my god! And the the whole privatize the post office thing, everything about him is just like, like this. But you know what? I will say, I we look at Buttigieg and 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 I think he is he's um, terrible. But I also I I don't want to be unfair here. He is part of a class. Sure, um, they all Joe learned Kennedy, from Obama. I think I uh, mean, Beto O'Rourke. They all learned. Um, yeah, there's a you know there's around. yeah like. All of them, Kamala. Kamala is part of that too. You know, there's this crowd of people that have no core convictions about anything. Well, it's it's it, and they masqueraded as um, speaking to everyone. As, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's it's like it's branding. I I mean. That's what it is. Core is light. Their messaging is cold because they can't stand for anything else because they need to appeal to to three hundred million people. Yeah, that's good. That's good. We'll I'll remember that towards the end. We'll we'll clip that. That's that's great. Um. Cool. Well, what do you that's, think? Guys? That's what these politicians. Uh, that's what they do. It's been about an hour. Yeah, yeah Derek, I think we can. I think we can wrap it. Giving us lots of his time. Yes. Um, Thank you for joining us. Uh, I hope that you will, you will do it again. And, and um, I, I really appreciate how eloquently you explained uh, all of these conflicts, because if I had, if I had to explain the war in Yemen, I think that I would just, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's a lot of death. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Death all yeah. the time videos. 
Um, yeah, but I, I do want to give just a, a last plug for people who are, um, who want to learn more about the conflict. Uh, there are Yemeni journalists out there that you should follow. Uh, Ahmad Al-Gabari is one of them. You should also, there, we did an article in Paste Magazine when, when Paste Politics was still a thing where we ran uncensored um, images from, of the violence. And uh, that article, we'll post it in the description below, it comes with a trigger warning um, if, if, if it's a lot of uh, dead children. So be warned. Anyway, cheery note to end on. Thank you again, Derek. Thank you, Alex. Thanks Thank so much. Right. And yeah, everyone, Thanks, um, check out Derek's uh, website, um, fx.substack.com, foreign exchanges, subscribe. Um, and also, um, want to want to give a plug for our forthcoming uh, news app for independent media that that Derek's website is a founding media partner of um, Opt Out. There you go. So um, you can we're finally trying to get better at this. You, yes, you can, you we're, can, um, go we're to doing op, it. Yeah, <laughs> go to optoutnews.org to find out more. Sign up. Um, you know, get, get be first in line to download the beta app in March. And um, yeah, we're really happy to have Derek and also Discontents, which is a collective of Substackers that Derek's part of, um, many of which are also individually our partners. But um, we're aggregating um, independent media exclusively. A, a lot of these, um, for instance, Substack newsletters that aren't um, Google, it doesn't rank them very high in the search, for example, they're not going to be covered in a lot of the mainstream media aggregators. So uh, really happy to be promoting that great work. Um, okay. Yes. Dis discontents.substack.com. We'll put that in the notes as well. All of it. Um, yeah. All of all it's going to be there mm -hmm. and, uh, we're going to blast this out on the podcast apps as yep. well. When, when I'll edit this thing down. So yep. it's going to be obnoxious. No, <laughs> get ready for, get ready for our marketing plan for now. Yeah. Marriage. All right. Everybody marketing for all who want it. On. I have to work on it. There you go. All right. Well, yeah, thanks a lot for your time, Derek, and coming on. Sure, thanks for having me. About, about yep. all, these, all these issues. Education for all who want it. Time for yes. all who want it. Ending the stream for all who want it. All right, there you go. <laughs> okay. All right, take care, everybody. Thank you. Bye. All right, guys. Take care. Audio editing by Alex Koch. Original theme music by Direwolf. Published by Opt Out News.